It's a summer afternoon at Rupert Field in 1946, and the Negro League's Newark Eagles are on the field. Mule settles with his high-stepping home run swing, Monty Irvin and Larry Doby, the best double-play combo ever, and Leon Day playing every position but catcher. And in the stands is Effa Manley. Oh, did Effa Manley love baseball and love her Eagles. Quite contrary to other ladies of the day, Effa took care of all the team's business. She and her Eagles ignored those that said, baseball's no place for a woman. She mother hand and managed those players all the way to the championship in the 1946 Negro League World Series. She also prodded the Baseball Hall of Fame until all her favorite Negro League players were honored. And on the day many of her players were inducted, so was Effa Manley, for she loved baseball, and it loved her back. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon. There it is. There's that unmistakable theme music uh, that you just can't get out of your head. Yes, it's uh, that time again. Thank you so much for joining us. Good seat still available. Yes, that curious little podcast journey, our little wending into the uh, nooks and crannies of history uh, as we uh, try to find out more about what used to be in professional sports. Thanks for giving us a, a spin on your device this week, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, have some entertaining uh, chatter uh, for you this week. Uh, we are going back into the um, earliest days of uh, baseball uh, in this country, uh, and in particular, a wellspring of uh, unearthed stories and um, uh, people and teams and leagues uh, collectively known as the Negro Leagues. And uh, we've had a couple of, uh, of conversations uh, prior about uh, some of the teams. And uh, this week, we're going to get into uh, one of those. Uh, it was a team that uh, played in the second incarnation of the Negro National League uh, in the 1930s, the team known as the Newark Eagles, which you uh, uh, historians out there probably know was a merger uh, between uh, two teams prior uh, in 1935, the Brooklyn Eagles. Uh, and the Newark Dodgers, uh, Brooklyn uh, moving to Newark to become the Newark Eagles in 1936. And uh, through the efforts of Abe Manley, uh, the founder of the uh, Brooklyn Eagles franchise, and uh, most interestingly, uh, his, uh, his wife, Effa Manley, who is going to be the, uh, the topic of, of this, uh, this conversation with our, our guest this week, Bob Luke, who uh, has written uh, a seminal uh, book about uh, Effa Manley's Life and Times. It is called The Most Famous Woman in Baseball, Effa Manley and the Negro Leagues. And I don't fancy myself as a baseball historian. I, As I joke with Bob, I'm, I play one on television, right? Maybe. Um, but uh, in my mind, and uh, as we pursue, you know, our little journeys here in this little podcast, uh, to me, the Newark Eagles, the Brooklyn Eagles, the Negro National League, uh, whatever version you know, all of these uh, uh, names and teams and leagues, these are fascinating to me. And uh, these are what once were. The Negro Leagues in particular, of course, have a deep and rich history uh, and, and are an essential part of the fabric of, of not only uh, the sport of baseball, but pro sports generally. 
and, and what it uh, it led to, and 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 frankly, it mirroring some of the struggles that still go on today, ridiculously in this country. Uh, but it is just a, it is a wellspring of of amazing stories and uh, and anecdotes and and uh, and heritage. And we're going to be talking about uh, Effa Manley and her contributions uh, to the sport of baseball. And for those of you who don't know, you know, Effa Manley uh, was and is the first ever woman to be inducted into the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame. And it's it's interesting on a whole different bunch of fronts, right? Because that says something, a, a woman in the very male-dominated sport of baseball. And we, we've talked about that with our friend John Liana Dykus about how uh, women in baseball have had a relatively uh, torturous history uh, still today, even trying to break in and play the game uh, at the same level as men. Uh, but uh, obviously, Eva Manley was African-American as well. Uh, so that makes for a, a doubly interesting induction and uh, and legacy and story to tell. And look, I think it's, it's a very uh, intriguing discussion and understanding of how somebody uh, like an Eva Manley uh, in that day and age in the 1930s kind of beat the challenges of both her skin color and her gender for whatever ridiculous reasons to you know, to challenge the all boys club, shall we say, and uh, and make some stuff happen and some lasting uh, imprint on the sport of baseball and uh, its ability to be promoted and marketed and uh, the talent, how to uh, fight for the rights of players, uh, the seeds of some of the work that she did uh, leading up to uh, integration uh, of baseball, uh, Jackie Robinson in particular, and most notably, but but a whole host of other players. Uh, it's just a, a fascinating story, and uh, it's uh, one that we're going to get into uh, with our guest, Bob Luke, the uh, the author of The Most Famous Woman in Baseball, Effa Manley, and the Negro Leagues. That is the topic of our conversation uh, coming up in uh, just a couple of moments. Uh, we want to remind you that sportshistorycollectibles.com uh, is our uh, friend and our sponsor, and we encourage you uh, to go check them out for uh, that perfect gift for the sports fanatic in your life. And uh, if uh, you're looking for items from uh, teams or leagues that are uh, no longer with us or iterations of uh, franchises that do exist today but had different looks and feels back in the day, uh, you will uh, uh, enjoy your visit to sportshistorycollectibles.com simply at the very least for the imagery uh, that you will see on that site of all the various uh, items that are available for you to uh, to consider. But of course, uh, if you do see something that tickles your fancy and you want to make that purchase, well, we're here to help you uh, with that promo code Good Seats. Use that promo code Good Seats at checkout, and you will get wait for it fifteen percent off your purchases. That's SportsHistoryCollectibles.com. Use that promo code Good Seats, and you will get that fifteen percent discount on all of your great memorabilia purchases uh, when you go and use said code at said site, sportshistorycollectibles.com. And uh, we encourage you to go there early and often. And after you finish doing that, you, of course, want to point your web browser to audibletrial.com slash goodseats so that you can get your free Audible audiobook download as well as a one-month uh, free trial of the Audible audiobook service. By giving that a try, and by giving that a try, audibletrial.com slash goodseats, you'll get to choose from over 180,000 titles across every genre known to man and woman. Uh, there's got to be one that's going to tickle your fancy and interest you, and uh, we certainly hope that uh, it will give you a great incentive 
uh, to give an audiobook a try and give Audible in particular uh, a spin. It's audibletrial.com slash goodseats for your free audiobook download and one month's free exploration of the service. Uh, and remember, you can cancel at any time. So give it a try. Try it for a month. See if you like it. Enjoy the book. If you don't like the experience, hey, cancel it. But at least you tried, right? You, you, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And uh, it's a great way to enjoy books uh, in an audio format. If you can't stand reading, your eyes get strained, or you just simply have a long commute, or you just, uh, you're just you otherwise engaged, give audiobooks a try, and uh, Audible is uh, the best way to do so. Audible trial dot com slash good seats. And we thank you for uh, trying them out too. Okay. One of those books uh, that you can, uh, I think, listen to on Audible, I'm not quite sure, but you could certainly uh, get a copy of uh, in printed form as well. Uh, and if you go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com, you'll find this episode and you can click a link to buy this book. But first, give a listen uh, to this interesting conversation with the author of that book, the book being the most famous woman in baseball, Effa Manley in the Negro Leagues. The author, his name is Bob Luke, and he is the conversation that we're going to have in just a couple of seconds. So please enjoy. Effa Manley is uh, somebody that uh, stands out uh, uniquely uh, on a number of different levels uh, in uh, the sport of baseball. And um, I'm just curious to start before we even get into her story and uh, her importance, uh, both during and uh, legacy, um, how you even got involved uh, in uh, understanding and then um, committing the story to writing uh, and your background generally, how you even got to uh, to even uh, contemplate uh, writing such a book. Oh, interesting question. Well, I'm a sociologist by academic training, and I worked in the field of uh, human resource development for 40 years before retiring. And I've always been a uh, baseball fan. I played in high school. I couldn't hit a curveball, so I didn't play in college. Uh, but I attended lots of games in the Washington, D.C. area uh, as a fan. So when I retired, I thought writing baseball would be a great uh thing to do. And uh, I wrote a book about an umpire who lived next door to me named Bill McGowan, was a major league umpire for years. He's in the Hall of Fame. And then I got interested in the Negro Leagues. I ran across them in some references to the research while I was doing the McGowan book. And I did a book on the Baltimore Elite Giants. And in that book, Effa Manley played a major role. And so that got me interested in Effa Manley. Uh, and I started researching her and decided that was, you know, worth my time to write a book about her. As the only woman in the Baseball Hall of Fame, she went in as an executive, of course. Uh, she ran the team, but uh, and she was what today I think we call a general manager and probably some other roles. But she was also very, very active in civil rights. She led a number of protests in Harlem in the mid-30s. She was active with the New Jersey uh, NAACP branch. She uh, gave proceeds of games to uh, institutions that worked with uh, African-American youth. So there's uh, more to Effa Manley than just her uh, baseball involvement. So uh, in your process, maybe that's also something we can get to before we kind of sort of uh, uh, 
begin sort of her journey, so to speak. Um, okay. What is your give us a sense of because you're you're not a professional writer, quote unquote, per, uh, by trade. Obviously, in the academic world, I'm sure you did plenty of of academic research and writing, but uh, you know, writing a book and and trying to convey it to more uh, general audience is a little different. So maybe a little right. bit of uh, insight as to your process of okay. Um, you know, you, you uh, and, and frankly, we should probably talk about the Baltimore Elite Giants at some point separately because that's a that too is an interesting and compelling story. But but I'm curious as to what your process is in terms of research and understanding, and then how do you even thread that into a narrative uh, to tell a story? Well, that's a great question. Uh, that's something I had to learn. I really had no idea how to do that. And uh, as you say, it's very different than academic writing. Uh, I talk with some friends of mine who are professional writers, and that was a big help. My research project, I spent a lot of time at the Library of Congress where they have old newspapers uh, that have been digitized, and you can find out practically anything you want to know about. I went to uh, Newark, New Jersey, where in the public library in Newark, they have Effa Manley's correspondence uh, on microfilm. So I went through all that. And then I just started trying to tell the story somehow, did a couple of drafts of the book and got a lot of help and feedback from uh, my editor who kept nudging me toward the uh, the narrative style of, of writing. And so I think it's largely a story of trial and error with help from friends and uh, basically writing professionals that uh, helped me get to the place where I could put a story together that, uh, uh, or a narrative together that a publisher would be interested in publishing. Well, so how did, how did that narrative begin? Because uh, I, I think, um, and again, we, the book we're referencing, of course, is the most famous woman in baseball, Effa Manley in the Negro Leagues. You know, and that's, that's quite something, right? Because uh, as I said earlier, um, her story, right, is, uh, is one of, of many parallels, right? Obviously, being an African-American woman, just generally in society, especially in the uh, early to mid 1900s, not the easiest right. of of experiences. Just by that. Second, right. the fact that she's a woman, right, in a very male, almost exclusively right. male dominated sport of baseball. And then third, you know the the dynamics of the sport of baseball itself, right, which is you know reflective, uh, sadly, uh, around some of the the mores of the time, the sort of separate but equal, you know, craziness and and all that stuff, and and just this. Uh, rich uh, cultural and and talent uh, bed of of the Negro Leagues. Um, how does this you know aside from you know the normal she was born in blah blah blah. Um, how does she how did how do you kind of start this story? Is it because of her uh, shall we say African American femaleness, uh, or is it uh, the, a story of uh, a young girl who falls in love with the sport of baseball and and decides to do something with it despite her seemingly uh, uh, ill-prepared background, shall we say? I would say it's really a story about Negro League baseball using the Newark Eagles as the theme and Effa Manley as the main character. Uh, she was a big baseball fan and would go to Yankees. She had a job in a millinery shop in New York and lived in New York and would go to Yankee Stadium to see Babe Ruth, who was her big baseball hero. And uh, that's where she met her husband, Abe Manley, who ran numbers and was into real estate and made lots of money. And the two of them got together and he put up the money for the team and she basically ran it. 
And it's also a story about her character. I mean, she was just, she, as you say, she was a woman in a man's world. She was uh, black in a white world. Uh, but she was just very determined and focused and full of self-confidence and moved right ahead. Uh, she met a lot of resistance from the owners of other Negro League teams who were male and thought she should be home in the kitchen and said so to her face in meetings. Uh, she just kept at it. She had the support of her husband, and uh, she just became a driving force in getting the Negro Leagues to take a more organized and business-like approach to to the league and to its finances. And in addition to all that, she ran the Newark Eagles, took care of the players and the advertising and the ticket sales and that kind of thing. Yeah, so so let's let's talk about Abe Manley and the Newark Eagles, right? Because this is uh, uh, this obviously sort of opens the door into uh, what this team was uh, in what what league and 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 circumstances that they played. Uh, but maybe before getting to that, we maybe get into like who this Abe Manley character is. Obviously, the person whose <laughs> whose uh, whose surname that she wound up taking and and keeping for the rest of her life. Um, maybe you can give us some background as to to him and how. Uh, what the Newark Eagles were all about and, and Negro National League in particular, in which uh, they mostly played. Sure. Well, Abe was uh, born in uh, uh, Hereford County, North Carolina, in a black community. His father put him to work in a sawmill, which he didn't like, and he inadvertently cut off his right index finger, uh, came home, bandaged up, left home, went to... Um, Norfolk, Virginia, and got into a variety of uh, jobs. And then at some point, I don't know exactly how, but at some point he got into uh, running numbers and uh, buying and selling real estate. And by this time he had moved to Camden. Now, when you say uh, when you say running numbers, that uh, that has uh, obviously a, a a little bit of a of a connotation there, right? You want to explain maybe to our youngins here that uh, what well, that really means, <laughs> positively or negatively? Well. Uh, Back in the day, it was an illegal lottery. A person would bet a certain amount of money that uh, a certain row of numbers would show up in the newspaper. You would, you could bet that the numbers three five one would show up in the person's account that was running the game. And if it showed up, you got a payoff. If it didn't show up, you lost your money. At that time, it was illegal. Today, it's the lottery is legal. Uh, it's basically the same process. <clears throat> Only in those days it was illegal, and uh, Abe Manley and other number runners did all of that under cover. They had people working for him who looked out for the police and one thing and another, and it made him a lot of money, made him a lot of enemies. Somebody bombed his uh, house in Camden, New Jersey, and he was advised to leave town, so he did, and he moved to uh, Brooklyn, uh, which is where he met Effa, and his first team was the Brooklyn Eagles. Uh, they were voted into the National Negro League as the new team, and they, uh, like all expansion teams, picked from available players, didn't get the best players, uh, didn't have the best season, and so he decided to move from um, Brooklyn and New York over to Newark, or he thought... Uh, the team would uh, basically make more money. And so, New York. actually, before before we cross the Hudson River, uh, how does um, 
How does uh, uh, he get involved in the idea of a, of a national Negro National League team? I mean, uh, and given that background, right, with, you know, perhaps real estate, OK, you know, a little bit above board, but right, the, the numbers running, you know, clearly not so much. Um, right. How does a, um, uh, a prospective owner, shall we say, in a team, in a league, uh, how does it even occur? How does he get a, a franchise, so to speak? Was it was he well vetted? Was it was the process a little less than um, strong in terms of uh, that assessment? I'm just curious as to how you would think. Just curiously, uh, how does somebody like that with a interesting, questionable, and or sometimes uh, 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 with a bunch of folks who aren't necessarily enamored with his business uh, style to actually get a franchise? Well, interesting question. The he approached the owners of the other Negro League teams, and they. Uh, National Negro League, Gus uh, Greeley and, and Posey, and they were all of like ilk. They were all running numbers and into real estate, and they had bars. And from the white establishment point of view, the whole operation of numbers and bars and so forth was seen as shady and, and a lot of it illegal. In the African-American community, it was, it was uh, a life support system for lots of people. Uh, that's where they made their money. That's where they socialized. So they fit right into the African-American uh, baseball team owners. They were all doing the same thing. Got it. So he was uh, essentially already kind of, quote unquote, one of them, so to speak. So it was kind of a natural yeah. thing for him to pursue. That's interesting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how does Brooklyn in its first year go and what what convinces him to go to, to, to Newark and, and sort of that process? And and of course, when is uh, when is Effa sort of come into the story? I think it's a couple of years later. No, it is a couple of years later. This is, uh, I think it's 1935, 1936. The Brooklyn Eagles' first season, and they do terribly. They come in last place. There are two other Negro League teams in uh, in New York. There are three major league teams in New York. There are a lot of semi-pro teams in New York. So the combination of coming in last and becoming aware of all the competition were the two kind of forces that prompted him to go to Newark and start up the Newark Eagles. And this is, I think, 1937, thereabouts. And uh, Effa doesn't come into the picture until, as you say, a year or two later. And when she starts going to meetings of owners with Abe, and she starts making suggestions about how the league could be better organized and make more money and her initial thoughts are shot down by the rest of the owners. Um, and then it turns out that, that Abe at one point says to Effa, I don't want to be caught up in all the administrative details of the team. I want to hang out with the players and drink with them at the bar and go to spring <laughs> training with them and that kind of thing. <laughs> Typical male, yeah. Right. And would you, would you run the team, please? And she did. Abe would, would pick out the players. He was sort of the chief scout. And Effa would uh, draw up contracts with the players. She would negotiate with the players. She would find them places to stay. She would sell tickets and hire publicity men and do all that business associated with really administering any baseball team, and this one, the Newark Eagles. And she um, would go to these meetings, and they would just be very conflicted meetings where she would you know, suggest how they could, uh, for instance, change 
ticket, lower ticket prices for the Negro League All-Star game. That she thought that would attract more people, and in the long run, they'd make more money. And I mean, and that was an example of a kind of suggestion she would make, which was at that time totally shot down. Well, where where is she getting her uh, her moxie and or her um, uh, I guess sort of quote unquote qualifications? I mean, had she had any sort of marketing and or business experience uh, per se, either directly or indirectly related to to baseball and and and, and sports management, or you know, how, how does or is she learning by sheer will and and just cunning and 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 logic and and intelligence, or you know, uh, how does she even get the, the well, sense that she's you know uh, as a viable voice in all of this? She had a very strong commitment to uh, improving conditions for African Americans. She would talk about doing things for uh, the race, as she put it. She would say at these meetings, we're talking about more than making money. We're talking about uh, the race. And and she saw Negro League baseball as a a thing that could grow, create more jobs for African Americans. provide African-Americans with more sanctuary kind of places that they could go and not be hassled uh, by the white population as as, went, as they were in those days. Um, so her driving force was improving the uh, uh, conditions for African-Americans. It happened to be in the arena of baseball because she was married to Abe Manley, and she herself had an interest in baseball, but she could have performed equally well in any other field of endeavor, insurance, funeral parlors, hotels, given that drive to improve conditions for African-Americans. Plus, she had just a lot of native intelligence, a lot of uh, self-confidence, is a great role model, I think. Uh, She had a high school education. She didn't go to college. She what was her, her what was her what was her source of uh, of income and and her uh, support uh, before uh, meeting Abe? I mean, was she, you know, any any documentation of sort of the kinds of jobs or or, or other interests that she was doing prior to to meeting Abe and, and then becoming and you know, launching her baseball career? She she worked for ten or twelve years in New York City in uh, a, a millinery, I think it is, a shop where they make dresses and hats for women. That was what her mother had done, and she learned those skills from her mother uh, and got a job with them in New York City, and she was light enough skinned uh, that people really didn't know she was African American. She probably would have had a tougher time if they had known. So she did that for 10 or 12 years. She also got into modeling. She was a very attractive woman, and uh, she she would model clothes at, uh, uh, you know, fashion shows and make some income there. Uh, so between the millinery store and the modeling, provided her with enough income to support herself. Uh, and then, of course, when she met Abe, he bought her diamond rings and fur coats and drove her around in his chauffeur Lincoln uh, limousine. Yeah, you can imagine oh. what, the, what the courtship might have looked like. I can imagine. Uh, I can hear the music. I can see the scene already. Um, right. Um, uh, all right. So... Uh, but uh, one little footnote, right? We kind of uh, glanced over here. I, the um, the when moving when Abe decided this is obviously before Effa, but when when Abe decided and and his uh, management or maybe him decided that that uh, they were going to go from Brooklyn to Newark, there was already 
though, a team in Newark, right? And, and wasn't there some kind of merger or some kind of, I don't know, yes. agreement? I mean, how, does, how did that sort of come about? Because I can't imagine that's – you're not going to have two teams in Newark, of course, right? No, right. No, you're right. There was a team in Newark, uh, the name of which is – the Newark – might have been the Newark Browns. It escapes me what the name of that is. But you're uh, right. There was, was the, a team in, uh, the Newark Dodgers, ironically, right? Which, Newark you know, Dodgers. You think, you're right. Yeah, right. ironically, not being in Brooklyn, of course, but that's interesting. That's right. right. That's right. And those two teams merged, um, and the Newark Eagles came at the surviving team, taking some of the players from the uh, Newark Dodgers, uh, one of whom was uh, Leon Day, pitcher, who... Uh, went on to the uh, Hall of Fame and spent a lot of his uh, career with other teams. Didn't get back to the Newark Eagles until 1946. Um, before we go further with uh, with the Eagles itself and then and, and Effa's uh, Effa Manley's uh, uh, involvement uh, more deeply with them, um, can you give us a little bit of a scene set about the Negro National League that they were part of? Right, because this was actually, I think. Um, the second incarnation of the, ne- the Negro National League, or maybe you can give us a sense of of that and just the, the Negro Leagues generally in terms of how they were structured uh, and uh, and the various teams and stuff, uh, how they were, you know, uh, how they were situated back in the day. Okay, sure, I'll try and do that. Uh, I mean, there had been Negro League baseball since the days of the Civil War, uh, barnstorming teams playing in different parts of the country. Uh, 1920, Rube Foster in Chicago organizes uh, a league. He brings six or eight teams together, form a league, and they play games with each other, as happens in a league. The Great Depression comes along. The league uh, cannot survive financially, goes out of business for a year or two, and then reemerges at about uh, 1933. Uh, and And... You get the uh, collection of owners. Um, Negro Leagues did not have much of a sense of organization. They played as many games as they could. They rode buses. Uh, Of course, they couldn't um, eat uh, and stay at uh, white establishments, uh, so they suffered a lot of that kind of discrimination. The players on the teams, if they got a better offer in Mexico or Puerto Rico or Cuba, they would simply leave, or as they say, they would jump their team to go south and, and double and triple their salary, and then they would come back. And uh, all was forgiven, uh, even though that rankled Effa. She thought there should be penalties for players who jumped and came back, but they were such box office attractions that uh, they brought in the money when they showed up. So it was ill-organized operation on any front you want to think of. One of the things that kept the Negro Leagues together was that a game, a Negro League game, provided African Americans a a sanctuary where they could go and just be themselves, and they didn't have to worry about all the discrimination they were facing in their day-to-day lives. So they would take uh, beer and liquor and fried chicken and the games were often scheduled to start right after church, so they came very well dressed to the games. Uh, so it was its own society, kind of. Yeah, it almost and, seems like a parallel universe of some respect. In some respect, it, right? it, Which yes, is bizarre, yeah. but but understandable the, given the times, right? Right. That's uh, 
and and for that very reason, they were the Negro Leagues were looked down upon by people like uh, Branch Rickey, who you know is well into working in the major leagues where things were a lot better organized. Uh, so he gave uh, uh, he didn't think very much of the Negro Leagues, and as a matter of fact, would just go in and take a player or two from the Negro Leagues without paying the team anything or talking to the manager. That's what he did, for instance, with Jackie Robinson. He just talked to Jackie Robinson when Robinson was with the Monarchs and said, would you like to play with me? And Robinson said, I sure would. And so he got signed. But the Monarchs got nothing for it. And some of that happened with F and the Newark Eagles as well. Well, so in steps uh, F.M. Manley into this this world, obviously of of men, uh, obviously of um, you know uh, 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 an interesting sort of parallel sort of business approach uh, or uh-huh. not business approach to to running a, a baseball franchises, albeit in um, uh, the Negro leagues, which were you know uh, uh, obviously sort of a, a different and, and parallel kind of universe to that of uh, what was then Major League Baseball. Um, maybe you can give us a sense of sort of how she becomes more day-to-day and involved, uh, and maybe in sort of the manners in which she does become involved. Um, it seems like marketing and promotion was certainly a thing of hers. Uh, and yeah. it also seems to me that she um, uh, was quite creative, shall we say, in terms of how to uh, think differently, perhaps. Maybe maybe with a sort of a more, um, you know, uh, I want to call it naive, but sort of outsider's perspective, right? Which uh, arguably could have been a, a great breath of fresh air, given the uh, the similarities of uh, of these owners uh, of the other teams in the league. Well, that's true. I thought marketing was a large part of um, what she did, and one place she concentrated her marketing efforts was on opening day. Uh, she would make an effort to bring in a lot of big name people, such as uh, Joe Lewis the senators from New Jersey uh, to attend the game, throw out the first ball, you know, the first pitch to get the season off on a good start. And she would do more, you know, less visible things like uh, uh, pick a white printing company to print the tickets to the games, thinking that the white printing company could get the tickets to potential white spectators more easily than could a uh, African-American printing company. Uh, she was all about getting people into the stands to make as much money as possible for the Eagles. And at the same time that she was marketing, she was she was negotiating with players to get them signed for the least amount of money she could get away with. So a lot of her concern, in addition to doing things to bolster the race was to bolster the bottom line of the Eagles. So, but she was also, uh, I guess, part of the, the mix of, of handling scheduling and, 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 uh, contracts and, and all those. So it seems to me that she, you know, uh, was truly to your point earlier, uh, becoming, or maybe even defining the role of what is today known as a general manager. Well, that could well be, that, that could well be. That was certainly a lot of what she did. And I'm not, uh, I'm not that familiar with what general managers in major on major league teams did in those days, but uh, she was certainly the uh, administrative force behind the team. Though at the same time that she did that, Abe maintained uh, authority over who who played for the Eagles. I mean, he would go out. He had friends he talked to and scouts and so forth, 
and he would he would pick players like he picked Monty Irvin up from high school in uh, New Jersey, seeing him play on the Sandlots, and he picked uh, Willie Wells as uh, as his shortstop when Wells left the uh, uh, Chicago Negro League team. Effa didn't have much to do in recruiting players. That was really Abe's forte. But once the players arrived, Effa uh, took over. All right, just when it was getting interesting, let's uh, let's bring this uh, to a grinding halt, shall we? Ah, just kidding. Uh, we got to pay the bills around here, and uh, our friends at Audible have been very helpful in attempting to allow us to pay some of those bills, and uh, we want to call them out now uh, and remind you that uh, a free audiobook download is yours for the taking, and also a free one-month uh, subscription to the service uh, of Audible at audibletrial.com slash goodseats. Again, audibletrial.com slash goodseats for your free one-month trial of the Audible service and, interestingly, most interestingly, a free audiobook download for you to enjoy. 180,000 titles and growing uh, every day to choose from, and there's uh, absolutely no excuse to not find at least one title amongst that uh, cavernous uh, selection uh, available to you that uh, you won't find to be enjoyable and uh, and good for the soul, including uh, a couple of books that might be interesting to our audience. And yes, some new ones, frankly, uh, that I'm finally listening to. One that I'm listening to right now uh, is by Carson Cunningham. It's narrated by Paul Bamer, and it's called Underbelly Hoops, Adventures in the CBA, a.k.a. The Crazy Basketball Association, which is really, of course, about the Continental Basketball Association, which for many years was sort of this ragtag minor league uh, of the NBA. And that's uh, it's a book I'm about two chapters into right now, and uh, hopefully maybe a guest will get uh, for a future episode. Also uh, in my queue, next up uh, is another guest that I'd like to get, uh, and her book that she wrote is also uh, narrated by her. Her name is Jeannie Buss. And of course, Jeannie is the daughter of Jerry Buss, of course, the uh, wildly successful founder of the Los Angeles Lakers and the LA Forum. And Jeannie is as uh, clearly today the brains behind uh, the Los Angeles Lakers today. Uh, she and her brothers were uh, active, of course, in things like, along with her father, uh, world team tennis, uh, the major indoor soccer league with the LA Lasers, all kinds of stuff. So uh, her book is next on my list. That's called Laker Girl. And that too is available on Audible. And again, it's one of the uh, the many thousands of titles that you can choose from uh, when you go to audibletrial.com slash goodseats. And again, you too can get your free audiobook download to give it a try, perhaps one of those two, or perhaps one of the other 180,000 titles uh, available to you as well. Uh, give it a try, audibletrial.com slash goodseats. Thanks for listening and back to our conversation. Any uh, uh, distinctive uh, promotions or, or marketing efforts or, or uh, innovations uh, in your research that um, that you could remember that uh, that she kind of brought? I mean, the fact of uh, I guess the idea of, of opening day certainly, right? That's the ultimate the the all star game you mentioned, right? You know, the the ability to or the idea of lowering prices, right, to get sort of perhaps the more casual fan and then get them sort of hooked on the game and then come back. Um, uh-huh. Any other any other things or or dynamics that uh, that that she brought uh, into into the mix and and maybe some that that actually didn't take root or were completely rejected so to speak well a lot of her suggestions to the owners were rejected she did have an interesting relationship with satchel page who 
at that time was a preeminent pitcher for the Negro Leagues and probably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. She, he was trying to strike up a relationship with her and in the course of that signed a contract to come play for the Eagles uh, only on the condition that he could engage in a relationship with uh, Effa, which she declined. And so Satchel Paige never showed up. And Abe Manley was out $5,000. He had paid Gus Greenley $5,000 to get Satchel Paige from the Pittsburgh Crawfords. But in terms of innovations that Effa came up with, other than the ones we've talked about, I, I can't think of any. I mean, she did the normal uh, getting the word out through newspapers, publishing scores, putting posters on telephone poles, calling newspapers ahead of games to make sure they had a reporter there to cover the game, that kind of thing. But I think that's all fairly standard operating it, it seems it seems though she also um whether you want to call it promotion or just uh, more broadly uh used the team uh quite effectively to help advance uh the general causes of of the african-american community uh writ large um uh, sort of tying in games playing and 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 uh, uh benefit uh, fundraising and 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 uh you know associated causes um it seems like she was very active in trying to commingle uh, those two intertwined uh, uh, issues, the, the the plight, if you will, of of, um, uh, of African-Americans in this country, plus uh, a team which uh, could arguably uh, be seen as a beacon of um, of hope and uh, and uh, of commerce and uh, an opportunity. Um, uh, you know, I, I see some, you know, in some of my research, I see, uh, you know, various benefits that uh, they sort of hosted and um I think, according to the um, uh, the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame website, that uh, one of the benefit games featured a, if you can imagine this, a stop lynching theme. Um, where- you know, I saw that in my research, and I, I've seen that in a number of places, but I have never been able to verify that actually took place. Interesting. Uh, I mean, all the newspaper research I've done, I even asked Bonnie Irvin that question. He didn't remember a anti-lynching game. And he played with the Eagles from like 41 to 48 with three years out for service in the Army. So then that game may well have taken place, but I'm, it's always intrigued me that I couldn't find, you know, any primary source uh, verification of that. Well, it is interesting. And, and you know, we, we could quibble or, or uh, about the specifics per se, right? But, um, you know, the idea is that, look, she's, again, she's female. She's African-American. And, um, you know, she's in a sport uh, that is, uh, you know, uh, arguably very closed on a number of different levels. Right. So she's kind of got a a whole bunch of things uh, kind of in her favor and uniquely so. And I think it seems to me that's kind of one of the reasons, one of the key reasons that uh, that she was the first woman inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. Because she was such a you could say just by being there in the midst of that in her position, uh, was substantial and influential by itself. But the fact that she was able to achieve so many interesting and compelling things, and we'll talk about maybe the, her probably her most lasting and notable thing in a second, but um, it, it had to be not sort of the easiest path, right, because there weren't many people to emulate, so to speak, uh, in her role. But just by the fact of, of her her background and her situation, right, she, you know, in many respects had a great opportunity 
to change the dynamics on a number of different levels in the sport of baseball and, and frankly, even more more broadly? Uh, yes, indeed. I think uh, she certainly did. I don't know how much she ended up in the long run changing baseball. Uh, she gave a lot of life to her team and players and so forth. But uh, as you know, eventually the uh, once baseball became integrated, that was a death knell for the Negro Leagues. And they just ceased to exist because all of the, the uh, stars went to the uh, to the majors, and uh, uh, so that leaving the Negro Leagues as an interesting piece of baseball history, but as an organization or institution, they just ceased to exist, unfortunately. Well, that sort of brings up, I guess, uh, one of her, probably her, her uh, greatest and most notable contributions was, uh, and so you, you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, uh, it, people recall, right, you know, when people like Jackie Robinson uh, were signed, quote unquote, by Branch Rickey. Uh, you know, it. Uh, you mentioned and and hinted at. Um, you know, the lack of compensation for such. Right. So you can right. imagine. You know, uh, an amazing talent such as a Jackie Robinson being tapped on the shoulder and being asked if you know he wants to play in the quote unquote big slash major leagues. You know, and I, you can't imagine a player of any color or skill set, you know, turning that down, right? But, and you're hinting at this, and this is an issue that continues to this day. You look at world soccer, for example, right? Transfer fees and whatnot. There were no such things as transfer fees or... So, like, you know, who holds the rights to these players? Well, ostensibly, uh, they would be the teams in in the Negro Leagues, right? But they kind of weren't necessarily, or maybe not sort of ironclad legally, I guess. So... I, I, it seems to me that 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 Effa Manley, and I, it would be interesting to know, you know, specifically with relation to players on the Eagles. But it seems to me that she was uh, one of the more vocal voices of, and maybe even change agents to kind of help rectify this issue and say, okay, you know, if integration is starting, you know, huzzah, right? Which is a major feat in and of itself. But you know, there mm-hmm. there are. There are consequences and or business realities to that. And and how do you sort of change that so that, you right. know, we're not getting the short end of the stick financially because there's, you know, Jackie Robinson is just the start of, of so many great players that are, you know, possibly right. you know, additive to these major leagues. Well, well, you're right. She did have uh, influence on the compensation issue. Uh, Ricky also took Don Newcomb from the Eagles, a pitcher, uh, without any compensation to the Manleys. And that really got Effa very angry, and she wrote a lot of newspaper articles about it and gave speeches about it. And then uh, when uh, Ricky approached her about uh, Monty Irvin, she said, uh, you're going to have to pay me to, uh, or I'll sue you. And she actually threatened to sue Ricky. And upon hearing that, Ricky just dropped the matter, and uh, Effa Manley got uh, Monty Irvin uh, uh, contract with the uh, New York Giants uh, and was paid for that. So that uh, the other thing she was helpful in is when Larry Doby uh, got the attention of Bill Veck with the uh, Cleveland Indians, he owned a number of teams at the time he owned the Cleveland Indians, and she insisted that Veck pay her $5,000 to give Doby a tryout and $10,000 if Veck kept Doby. And Veck agreed to that. 
In many ways, VEC was very helpful in getting compensation to Negro League teams. VEC had a different take on things than, than Ricky did. VEC, I think, characterized the Negro League teams as they're not that bad, they shuffle along, whereas Ricky just thought they were uh, an exploitive system of uh, owners exploiting players. So VEC and EFA made an effective team in providing the precedent, I guess you'd call it, for compensating Negro League teams for their players. Well, it's also interesting, too, because, um, you know, the team, the Eagles, were um, they essentially reached the pinnacle of uh, of the Negro League uh, uh, playing and playoff system by winning the Negro League World Series in, in 46. And it's an interesting time. It almost feels almost uh, kismet, right, in terms of timing, right? Because in 47 is when Robinson came, went into the uh, – into the quote unquote major leagues, right? And mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you know, maybe we should talk about that that team because that was, uh, you know, really the the Eagles only uh, it was the only championship that they ever achieved. Uh, right. And then that year, you mentioned Larry Doby, but they had a whole roster of of, of what became future Hall of Famers, right? I mean, uh, you mentioned Doby, but Monty Irvin and Biz Mackey oh, yeah. and. Willie Wells and Leon Day and Ray, Ray Dandridge, uh, Mule Suttles, yeah. one of the better names. Um, how? So uh, let's back up for a second. How does a team like that with such great, stunning talent get assembled? Uh, I got to think that Effa uh, was, uh, had a hand in that. And then second, um, would you say that the, uh, the success of the, that year's team was almost uh, extraordinarily well-timed given – or perhaps maybe it was part of the motions around the beginnings of integration and, and, and seeing that African-American players are, are hugely valuable and potentially uh, very lucrative to uh, the quote-unquote big leagues. Well, I think uh, their winning the uh, championship in 46 right, put the players' skills on display in a broader way than had they not been in the World Series. So... People were coming to the conclusion that uh, the African-American players really were terrific players and had lots of skills. In terms of how that team was assembled, uh, it was a very number of factors involved. Some of the players decided they did not want to play in uh, South America. Uh, Willie Wells and Dandridge, for instance, uh, had jumped the team a year or two earlier, but they decided they wanted to come back and, and uh, play for the Eagles, and Effa said, fine. I think Leon Day arrived by some kind of a trade. It was fortuitous. I don't know that you could really say it was planned. Biz Mackey refused to play the the year before because Effa wouldn't send him an extra $25 for train fare, but (laughs) the following year she sent him enough money to make him happy and gave him a two-year contract, and so he he came around. was a lot of uh, combination of circumstances and negotiation that got that group together, and, I, that, and of course that was the highlight for the for the Eagles, and uh, they just won that World Series uh, by the skin of their teeth. It was down to uh, the, the last game. I think they were playing uh, Kansas City, and they they won that seventh game by by one run. There were it was the bottom of the ninth. There were two outs, two Monarchs on base, and and the Eagle player popped up for the third out to give him the, the title. And that, I think, was the 
baseball highlight for the Manleys. Well, and uh, uh, we uh, touched upon this very briefly in our uh, conversation with um, uh, about the uh, uh, the Kansas City Monarchs with uh, with Bill Young. Um, uh, they were not favored, the the uh, uh, the Eagles, right? So you know, clearly, not only winning sort of by the skin of their teeth, but uh, but it also you know seems so. Besides, sort of the um, you know the the background, I guess, of 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 looming integration or at least of players finally um, uh, being seen as being valuable uh, uh, contributors to um, these big leagues. Um, you also it also seems that that. Uh, that Manley, uh, you know, sort of saw perhaps a little bit of the writing on the wall, right? Because not too far after winning that uh, that championship, uh, they sold. Uh, she and her husband sold the team, mm-hmm. and, right. and a lot of the the league uh, sort of kind of went went sort of uh, you know downhill, I guess you could say, sort of from that. Now again, maybe just timing, but what do you what do you think she and and Abe kind of saw? Uh, you know, having won that championship, I mean, do you, do you give them? Do you think, in hindsight, they kind of saw the writing on the wall that maybe this was sort of the beginning of the end of this uh, sort of rich n- uh, Negro League kind of system, or or do you think it was just good timing and um, you know they just they wanted out for other reasons? I think no, I think I think they saw the handwriting on the wall. I think once uh, Newcomb and Robinson and Irvin and Doby and so forth went to the majors, the attendance went down noticeably for the Eagles games and the other Negro League team games. So, I mean, they could see the beginning of the end, which made Effa very angry and frustrated. And she blamed the African-American public uh, for going to the major league games instead of continuing to come to the Negro League games. And uh, so in a peak of uh, frustration and wanting to get out from under all the financial burdens. I think Abe Manley figured up he spent something like $100,000 or lost $100,000 on the Eagles, which was real money back then. They they decided to, to get out of baseball and sell the team, and I think just too much for effort to cope with. She was just so frustrated. She said, this is not worth my time. Well, it seems like it's also, I'm sorry, it always seems like it's a sort of a double-edged sword, right? So, you know, the sort of the ultimate, I guess, uh, victory, so to speak, by seeing uh, at least one and then a few other uh, Negro League players being uh, uh, valued and, and seen as, uh, 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 you know, uh, opportunistic, I guess, for, um, you know, for the big leagues. But it's also, you know, the, you know, the, the it does potentially injure or question uh, the Negro Leagues from which these players came from. I, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm, I'm, I am no baseball historian, I just play one on television, uh, <laughs> the idea of, I mean, uh, Jackie Robinson himself, right? I mean, uh, I got uh, criticized, I think, from Manley herself in particular. Um, because I, I, it's my understanding that, that Robinson, you know, made some allusions, I guess, to the the relative um, informalities, I guess, of, of yeah. Negro Leagues relative to, say, right. that of Big League Baseball, which I think probably got to add it to uh, Effa's sort of peak you mentioned because, you know, she's kind of like, well, wait a minute. I, I, understand where you came from, you know, and, and the reality is right. that, you know, for, for decades, you know, we've been able to help sort of promote the, uh, this, uh, uh, this opportunity, this situation, this, this possibility 
Um, you know, so I got to think it's doubly frustrating and, and truly a double-edged sword, right? So it's you, a, oh, yeah, win, right. a win generally, but, you know, obviously from, from a business perspective, also kind of a curiosity. Right. No, you're absolutely right. She took great issue with Robinson. He published an article in a magazine taking the Negro Leagues to task for uh, lack of organization and long bus rides and he had a lot of complaints that he aired publicly. And he also did that in a speech he gave in uh, Washington, D.C., and you're absolutely right that that did not sit at all well with Effa for those reasons, sort of, uh, you know, casting your own mother aside. So why do you think uh, once uh, the team was sold and, and, and there's uh, ample uh, uh, research to show sort of how, you know, the, the National League and the American League of, of the Negro Leagues merged and, you know, obviously started to whimper and and wind down, uh, obviously, as integration became much more of a, a common and uh, and just frankly, straightforward uh, process after that. Um, why do you, uh, I, I'm curious because I'm not quite sure what what happened to her and Abe uh, in their professional careers after that. Oh, um, oh, okay. You'd think that I mean I, and again I don't I just don't know. That's why well we that's why we have conversations like this. Um, <laughs> you'd think I don't know. I think that that she would have been somebody that the big leagues would have uh, benefited uh, by having on the inside. Well, you're absolutely right. They would have, uh, and they could have, but they didn't. They just uh, were not into hiring African-American women for executive positions in their front offices. Um, after the team was sold, uh, Abe died in 1952, uh, left all his money to Effa. Effa uh, she was uh, she loved music for a period of time. She opened a, a music store in Germantown, um, Pennsylvania, not far from Newark. And then she goes to, and at, at this time she becomes very active in the uh, NAACP. She becomes a treasurer of the New Jersey NAACP chapter. Then she moves to Los Angeles. Uh, she is married two times and divorced two times in Los Angeles. Um, she gives a number of interviews. Uh, and the Dodgers, who now have moved to Los Angeles, do give her a lifetime pass to come to any game she wants to. So while they wouldn't avail themselves of her skills and experience, they gave her a, a free pass to come see any game. And Effa, she, she continued to listen to music, that's what she talks about a lot, and ended up dying... Um, in the rest home run by Quincy Troop, himself a former Negro League player, a catcher, as she died in uh, 1983 in in Los Angeles. Yeah, do you, th you think, um, so I, it's hard because, you know, neither of us ever met her, I, uh, but, you know, do you think that she would consider herself or would have considered herself, maybe in some of the interviews afterwards, she this could have been divined, could have been divined, uh, as a pioneer. Uh, do you think she felt that she did have some impact, or do you think she perhaps just felt she was just doing what was naturally right, um, even though she never really continued in baseball uh, after after the Eagles were sold? I think more the latter. She did try to keep the... Uh history of the Negro Leagues um, alive. She co-authored a book about the Negro Leagues with uh, Leon Hartwick, a sports writer who also had moved to 
Los Angeles, and she gave the names of 70-some players uh, from the Negro League she shot, thought should be in the Hall of Fame. And uh, she would do radio interviews and that kind of thing. But during the time she was active with the Eagles, she would always deflect the credit to Abe when people would ask her questions about her contribution and so on and so forth. She would say, oh, I'm just doing, you know, as you say, what needs to be done. Uh, Abe really is the baseball genius in the family. So I think I think she'd probably be pretty surprised to learn she's in the Hall of Fame. Is there any story or any background as to um, her actual election uh, into the Hall of Fame? I mean, she was, I mean, this is... She was the first woman uh, inducted, um, and I'm just curious if there was, uh, in your research, maybe you haven't touched on it or or understand, but, and I don't either, Um, was there anything, uh, was there any sort of uh, sensibility or, uh, I wouldn't even call it, um, um, you know, politicking, so to speak, but uh, I'm just curious as to how uh, uh, she was surfaced as, uh, as that uh, you know, significant uh, addition and contribution. And I'm also wondering, too, the timing, right? Because she was uh, inducted, and I apologize for not knowing the year that she was inducted. I'm just curious as to what um, what was going on around that time, perhaps, as to uh, why that period of time that where she was inducted. Well, previous to her being inducted, which I think was like 1996, 97, a whole I think, group I think of, that's right. A whole group of uh, uh, Negro League players were inducted uh, at that time, 12 or 13. And she was one of them uh, as an executive. There had been a lot of criticism of the Hall of Fame that they did not have Negro League players in the Hall of Fame. And so this effort was underway to uh, right that wrong. And a, a group of baseball writers and historians got together to review the credentials of 40 or 50 Negro League players who had been nominated for the Hall of Fame. And they, you know, narrowed that group down to 20 or so and uh, finally took a vote. And I guess to get elected, people needed 75% of the vote. And uh, if I got elected, uh, interesting, the Hall of Fame initially said they would uh, reveal the... uh, results of the voting, you know, like they do now. Certain player gets certain percentage of the vote. But the Hall of Fame decided in this case not to release any information on uh, who got how many votes. Uh, at the same time uh, that this election took place, Buck O'Neill did not get enough votes to become elected in the Hall of Fame, which a lot of people thought he should have. So there's really no way of knowing how what percentage of the vote I forgot, but we just know that she got enough to get in. And there was, uh, I'm not aware of, a couple of the people I talked to who were in the voting process said they did not see any special favor or disfavor associated with uh, F.A. Manley as as a woman. Is that being any kind of a contributing factor, yay or nay, to her election? But it's all a little murky. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and as we, we've had conversations about various sports and leagues, especially challenger leagues, right, which is a, a little bit of a different situation. But, you know, you look in the 60s and the 70s with challenger football leagues like the WFL or the AFL and uh-huh. or, or other, you know, other situations, WHA and hockey, et cetera. 
um, huh. ABA and basketball, right? There's uh, this, um, and and we get into sort of, I guess, the politics of halls of fame and 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 uh, you know official histories and statistics and record keeping and all that, right? So, you know, this to me seems like an even larger sort of issue about how to embrace uh, the past, right? Which you know, use the word murky. Um, it, these aren't straight lines, right? Uh, the history of baseball, the history of any professional sport in this country. Um, you know, has, is pockmarked by lots of detours and situations and challenger leagues and maybe mergers and others not so. And and then, you know, in looking backward, right, um, and again, this is another reason why we sort of do these conversations is, you know, does it take, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, the surviving league and or Hall of Fame to recognize, you know, this history to make it, quote unquote, official and or worthwhile or worthy, and of course, the answer is, of course not. But then you get into the sort of the particulars of, well, at what point and how do you embrace the past? You know, because the Negro Leagues, right, as we've discussed and hinted at, right, you know, were this parallel, again, in some respects, bizarre sort of world, you know, of uh, of baseball, which was of, in many cases, the highest, if not even higher quality of the major leagues at the time. Right. But at that time, right, was not uh, was looked upon. You mentioned it earlier with Branch Rickey and others, you know, looked down upon either for business reasons or for genuine beliefs that, you know, not of high quality, not of great organization, all that kind of stuff. Right. Whether you believe that or not. Um, But, you know, years down the road, without the existence of these of these Negro Leagues and obviously the players and some of the pioneers like F.A. Manley, um, you know, you wouldn't have some of the innovations and or the opportunities that exist today in Major League Baseball and all these other sports for that matter. So it's a very right. tenuous sort of, you know, embrace slash distancing, right, that that uh, sort of goes forward as history. And I, you know, for me, and I, I'm not taking any stance here. It's just it's a to me, these these teams, these leagues, these people existed. Right. And they existed for various reasons, various dreams and ideas, or they saw perhaps things in the status quo that weren't um, you know, to their liking and or saw opportunities, you know, obviously business opportunities, et cetera. And right. that's all part of the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the not, uh, always uh, convenient history of these sports and stuff. And I, to me, it seems like this is sort of the mother of all of those, right. In, in the idea of understanding, recognizing and embracing, uh, truly and deeply, uh, the role of the Negro leagues in the history of the sport of baseball. Yeah, no, no, right. I, I would agree. Right. Without those kind of efforts, uh, Negro League would not be well known, and the contributions they they made to baseball would would not be well known. And Major League Baseball would be a different uh, organization than it is today had there been no Negro Leagues. More interestingness. Uh, that's the way I look at it. Uh, all these conversations lead me to learn things. Hopefully you get to enjoy sharing some of those learnings. Uh, and of course, what they often do is uh, they lead to opening a further Pandora's box uh, for us for to, uh, to investigate further. So rest assured, we will have uh, many more episodes uh, devoted to uh, stories and teams and people uh, from the uh, various Negro Leagues. Uh, in the weeks and months to come. Uh, a fascinating uh, journey into the life of perhaps one of the uh, more uh, notable names uh, in Negro League baseball history, uh, Effa Manley. And um, again, she uh, is uh, 
ensconced in the uh, National Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, the first woman to uh, to be um, inducted uh, into that hallowed hall. And um, if you want to learn more about her story, uh, the book that Bob Luke authored is called, as we've said, The Most Famous Woman in Baseball, Effa Manley and the Negro Leagues. It is uh, published by uh, Potomac Books, and uh, we encourage you to... Uh, find a copy you can go to our website at goodseatsstillavailable.com just search for this episode with bob luke uh, you will find a link to it and uh, of course if you purchase the book uh, through that link on a on our amazon link uh, you'll be given a little bit of scratch to our show as well so we encourage you to uh, make all your purchases through those links uh, we uh, we'd appreciate that of course but uh, regardless of how you get the book please get it because uh, it's it's a very interesting story and, and obviously we did not go uh, as deep as we could have in just an hour, uh, an hour's time. Um, hopefully we'll get Bob back for another episode. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, another team in the Negro Leagues called the Baltimore Elite Giants. And uh, that is another book that Bob has authored. We'll have a link to that book as well. Uh, and um, hopefully we'll uh, use that as an excuse to go further in our uh, in our discovery of all things or more things. Uh, Negro Leagues. Let's see. We're uh, just about out of time, but I do want to thank uh, our friends at Podfly Productions. Uh, that's Eric Begay, Corey Coates, our dulcet-toned announcer, uh, David Gregerson, and uh, uh, the good Dr. Jerry Payne, who uh, puts our uh, various components together to make this show sound pretty darn nice. Uh, I have very little to do with that, and he has just about everything to do with that. So thank you to Jerry and all the friends at Podpl- Podfly, he says. Productions, Podfly Productions. Uh, and if you're interested in uh, learning more about how you too can start the, this uh, wacky world of podcasting, uh, if you're a beginner, an intermediate, uh, an expert, uh, Podfly can help you on, on all those different realms. Uh, and uh, the place to go is podfly.net. Tell them that uh, your pal Tim and the Good Seats Still Available podcast sent you, and uh, they will take very good care of you, I assure you. All right, uh, I'm done for this week. Uh, I, uh, as always, thank you uh, tremendously for for listening. Don't forget to follow us uh, on uh, Twitter at Good Seats Still, uh, on uh, Instagram at Good Seats Still Available, uh, on on Facebook. There's a page to us as well, and of course, please your shout outs and your uh, ratings and reviews on wherever you listen on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, especially. Uh, please do so uh, early and often. We appreciate that love too. That helps us tremendously. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. And until then, I bid you a fond farewell.